Let's turn now to Psalm 22. For this period of time when we cannot meet together in RPC, I decided that we would look at some of the Psalms. Christians over the ages have found great comfort in the Psalms. And that's for many reasons. The psalmist is extremely honest. The psalmist tends to ask very deep questions, very personal questions. The psalmist isn't scared to share doubt, but the psalmist is also willing to show immense faith in our God. That's why we love the psalms. And the psalmist ultimately points people to Jesus. For instance, Psalm 27, Jesus is our light and our salvation and our stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? Of what shall I be afraid? So Jesus is the answer to fear. Psalm 121, the psalm we looked at last week. Jesus is our helper. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus is the fear destroyer. Jesus is our helper. Now, today is Palm Sunday. We're into our Easter season. Is there a psalm for Easter? Well, it may surprise you that the answer is yes. There are many messianic psalms, many psalms that point very, very clearly to the coming of Jesus. And Psalm 22 is one of those psalms. In fact, Psalm 22 is often described as the Easter psalm. The reason is that it takes us to the foot of the cross and we see in vivid color the absolute horror of Jesus dying for us and for our sin. And then it takes us to the empty tomb of Easter Sunday morning and we see the risen Jesus in all his resurrection glory. Yes, of course, it is a psalm of David and it's about David, but it's ultimately about Jesus. And may the very fact that David could produce this prophecy about Jesus and especially his death and his resurrection hundreds of years before the event, may this really encourage us in our faith in these difficult days. And so today and next Sunday, which is Easter Sunday, we're going to study this Easter psalm. Today, we're going to look at verses 1 to 21. Next Sunday, verses 22 to 31. So please open your Bibles at Psalm uh, 22. Now, Psalm 22 is a piece of Hebrew poetry, and it's a very clear structure that may not just be obvious to us at first reading. And in the first 21 verses, there's an ebbing and a flowing in the thinking of David, back and forth, from pain to comfort, from pain to comfort, from pain to comfort. Six movements in all. Let me give you a, a, a quick structure before we go through it a wee bit slower. There will be an outline, of course, available on the website. Please have that available if you can, and it'll help you follow uh, where we're going. So first of all, we see the pain described at verses 1 and 2. It's spiritual pain. And then in verses 3 to 5, we have the response. And you notice there, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. Verses 6 to 8, we see another pain section, this time emotional pain. And that's followed by verse 9 to 11. Yet you. And then the last pain section, which is the physical pain section, verses 12 to 18, followed by 
verse 19, and you'll notice there, but you, O Lord. So we go from the pain that Jesus suffered to the comfort that he sought. And in these days when we're suffering so much pain, we've got to acknowledge the pain and we've got to see the comfort that the gospel encourages us to exercise. This is true, of course, for David, and it's true for us in this difficult time, but ultimately, it's true for Jesus. So let's first of all think of the spiritual pain of Jesus in verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I'm not silent. Of course, Jesus quoted verse 1 on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David doesn't sort of build up to sort of the climatic expression of suffering. He begins with the climatic expression of suffering. Now, the pain of the cross was immense. There was the physical pain and the dying of Jesus, which we will look at later. The slow, long-lasting pain and torment and agony. But that wasn't the worst part of the pain of the cross. There was also the spiritual pain of being a sin-bearer because he was holy and perfect. But again, that's not the worst aspect of the suffering of Jesus. There was the pain of abandonment forever in the, the loving relationship of the Trinity, and yet he faced all of it alone. That was horrible. That was difficult, painful. But that's not the worst part of the pain that Jesus suffered. The worst part of the pain that Jesus suffered was the pain of bearing the wrath of God. Now, so often, too often, we have a soft and wrong view of sin. But the eternal and unchangeable requirement in the holiness and justice of God is that sin must be paid for. And on the cross, God's fury was unleashed against his son. That's why verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 22 are so powerful. And yes, this is hard to take. There's a mystery in it all. It's the mystery of the Trinity, the Father loving the Son, but the Father also pouring out His wrath on the Son while He hung there on the cross for me and for you. I want you to see Jesus bearing the condemnation that we deserve. See, what sin costs. It begs the question, how can we play with sin so easily in the light of Calvary? What we see here in these first two verses is Jesus facing the unmitigated horror of the cross. My God, my God, why? It's not a cry of unbelief, of course, it is a cry of faith in the midst of pain. And Jesus, in many ways, by asking this question, gives us permission to ask the question, why? 
And as we wrestle with the tragedy that is occurring all around us, as we watch and witness pain and loss and uncertainty, then we have every right to do what Jesus did and ask why. So by all means, ask why. But at the same time, let us cling to the Father because that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's why we see the response to this in verses 3 and 4 and 5. David and Jesus both remember God's unfailing character. And that's what we must do in response to our pain and loss and the tragedy that occurs around us. Let's read these verses. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. That's what we must do. That's what Jesus did. That's what David did. Such comfort and help to us today. Such comfort and help to us in coronavirus times. We haven't time to look at each of these verses, you'll note, but just quickly note verse 3, he's utterly holy. Verse 4, he's worthy of trust. Verse 5, he's the God of salvation. So by all means, ask why, but at the same time, turn to the Father, cling to the Father and say, you are holy you are trustworthy, and you are a God of salvation. So that's the physical pain and the response that we need to make to that. But secondly, we see the emotional pain in verses 6 to 8. Let me read these verses. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. What we're seeing here in the psalm is what happened on Calvary. Wave after wave after wave of suffering came down on Jesus. How could people treat anyone like this, especially Jesus? Look how they made him feel. He, he felt as if he was a worm. Not, not, a, not even a person, despised by people, treated as subhuman, like an animal. No, no compassion, no mercy, no decency. And look at the insults there in verse 8. Do you remember what they said, the Pharisees and others said of Jesus as he hung on the cross? He saved others. Let him save himself. Let God rescue him. Come down from the cross now, if you really are the Son of God. However, we know it was because he was God. He couldn't come down from the cross. And he wouldn't come down from the cross. The emotional pain that Jesus suffered on the cross. Spelt out for us here in the psalm. Now, maybe you think nobody understands what's happening inside my head. My loneliness my insecurity, my isolation, my fear, my mental pain? Do you think no one understands? 
He does. You can go to him and bring your griefs and your worries and your pain to him. He knows, and he's with you. So as he describes his mental or emotional pain, brings him to the response in verses 9 to 11, God's personal blessing. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Again, we can see the rock-solid trust and dependence upon God from David and, of course, even from Jesus and should be seen in us. And David here speaks like a, a covenant child. He looks back and he sees God's care. He sees God's blessing to him since the moment he was born and even before. Now today, again, I ask, are you emotionally shaking? You're, you're struggling with isolation, with worry. Maybe you're worried about an elderly parent. Maybe you're worried about that relation of yours who's a healthcare worker. Maybe you're worried about your job. Maybe you have a wider concern for the whole world. Can I suggest for a moment you just stop and think and reread your life story? Yeah, reread your life story from birth and see how God has kept you and blessed you. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Reread your life story with him as the central character. Not you. Not what's going on around us. He is the central character. Reread your life story and bless his name and trust his power and grace today. And then do it again tomorrow. And so we see here the spiritual pain. And then the response. The emotional pain. And then the response. In verses 12 to 18, we turn to the third and final section of the pain of Jesus. The physical pain. And then the response comes in verse 19 to 21. But in this section 12 to 18, don't miss the accurate account of the physical effects of the crucifixion. For instance, verses 12 and 13, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. What does this refer to? It refers to that post-trial entertainment for six hundred hardened, brutal, bored soldiers. And the psalmist says, they acted like a pack of wild dogs, like savage lions, like mad bulls. Do you remember the crown of thorns they squeezed onto the head of Jesus? Do you remember they gave him a staff which acted like kind of a mock 
royal scepter. Do you remember they spat upon him, which was the ultimate insult of the day? They beat him with rods. They punched him with their fists. Savage, brutality, and abuse. Here it is described in verses 12 and 13. And in verse 14, and the first part of it, my bones are out of joint. It's a graphic picture of crucifixion. Again, 100 or hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually was invented. The end of verse 14, his heart is under pressure to pump the blood around the body. The blood gets thick and sluggish and it's, he's struggling even to keep alive. Verse 15, his strength is exhausted. Constant work to keep going. And there's extreme thirst. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Verse 16 is the clearest reference to crucifixion, where hands and feet are pierced by nails. And verse 17, people stare and gloat over me, the psalmist says. Some with perverted tastes enjoyed coming for a good execution, staring and gloating. And in verse 18, they divided my garments among them and cast lots from my clothing. That's exactly what they did for the few pieces of clothing that Jesus had. Please again remember, the Jews had no equivalent to crucifixion. This was a Roman invention hundreds of years after David's time and therefore another irresistible proof of the inspiration of Scripture. So we've got the spiritual pain countered by a view of God's unfailing character, the emotional pain countered by God's personal blessing, and then the physical pain countered by God's future grace. Verse 19 to 21. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. That's really a prayer for future grace, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with submitting to the will of our sovereign God on one hand and at the same time asking to be delivered. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you remember what Jesus said in Gethsemane? If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but your will be done. In verse 19 to 21, we have phrases that could help us in our praying in our painful crisis. Be not far off from us. Come quickly to help us. Deliver us. Rescue us. Save us. All these phrases are there. This is what we should be praying for in these difficult days. A faith that will sustain us in our trials is a faith that can cry out, Jesus, save us, deliver us, rescue us, come quickly and help us. So these days are days of concern and loss and pain and grief. And we don't know what lies ahead. But Psalm 22, I think, lifts our eyes from the things of the earth and 
focuses our gaze on Jesus, not on our comforts and not even on our losses. The focus is on Him. He who died and rose again. He who offers us forgiveness of sins. He who saves and rescues. And yes, it is He who cried out, It is finished, can offer us salvation because full payment for sin has been paid. We can know Him. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not His, if you're not saved or rescued or whatever other term you want to use, then can I urge you today, now, be saved. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Believe in faith. Be saved. Next week, God willing, we'll look at part two of Psalm 22, the resurrection. In this week that some call holy, may God bless you and help you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you show us how to deal with pain, whether it be spiritual, emotional, or physical. And we pray that you'll help us to be really faithful and spiritual and biblical so that we will indeed think about your unfailing character, that we will think about your personal blessing to us from the day we were conceived. And we'll also think of your future grace. This week, bless us and help us and encourage us. And may we minister to others around us so we might bring the love and the hope of the gospel to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.